If you've been regular around, you know that we're in this series, this little series that we've entitled Sabbath Rhythms of Rest, where we're looking at this ancient practice that God ordains that we take one day within our week to pause and stop. Because if we do that, it will do us good and cause us to flourish. It's not to kind of hold us back from doing things. It's rather to cause us to get a right balance within life. And we kind of previously have like looked at some building blocks of why did God ordain this. Uh, last week, we then looked at, well, what does Sabbath look like then when we spend a day pausing? And we said, well, it's about God. Uh, and today we're going to see it's about us. Uh, and we're going to see how this day is all about doing us good. And how we thought we'd do this is we've invited a couple of people to help us navigate what this looks like for them, but also what it can then look like for us. And so in a moment, I'm going to hand over to David, uh, who we know is normally around us in the afternoon. He's day-to-day uh, -day a director of Biffa, uh, and just thought it'd be great to hear from him in terms of what it looks like practically uh, for him in terms of uh, living with this uh, rhythm of rest. And then what we're then going to do is do something slightly unusual. We're then going to have John Newbold speak to us. But how John's going to speak to us is not live, but actually through a short clip that he's prepared for us, where we're going to look at, well, how do then we operate in terms of Sabbath in respect to technology, which I promise you will do us good. Both of them I've heard already, and they're excellent. So I know we're in for a treat. So we welcome David. He'll lead us through. Super. Good afternoon. Can everyone hear me? Is this working? Super. Great. Great to see you. Um, we've been served so well over the last few weeks, haven't we, uh, learning about the Sabbath, going through the story that we see in Matthew and Mark, um, uh, and Mike and Adrian have really talked us through the details of that. And one aspect of that story is actually a disagreement about the law. And I thought it'd be interesting to start this by just saying, actually, one interesting thing about living in this country is that we've got a really ancient justice system. And actually, we still have in our law code, our law system, a load of quite quirky laws that at one point in time must have meant something, but now are a little less meaningful. So, for example, in 1872, someone thought it'd be very wise to declare that it's actually unlawful to get drunk in a pub, which is a little bit bizarre. Apparently a law that is still used, actually, if you do get a little bit too drunk in the pub, they'll refer back to that law as the reason why that's not the right thing to do. Um, in 1313, it was declared illegal to wear armour in Parliament, which um, I can imagine there's some politicians today who'd quite like to wear armour in the House of Commons. Um, a bit more recently, in 1986, a bit of a quirky one, apparently it's illegal now to handle a salmon in su suspicious circumstances. <laughs> Don't really know why. And then in 1839, perhaps more practical at that time, it's illegal to, to do this, carry a plank along a pavement is actually illegal. So things at one point made a lot of sense, um, and perhaps maybe today still make some sense, but not a lot. Um, we're continuing to look at our series at the Sabbath, and as we've heard uh, over the last number of weeks, the Sabbath is the ancient command for God's people to rest for one day of the week. And we're coming back to the story described in Matthew and Mark, where Jesus and his disciples are confronted by the religious law keepers of the day regarding the subject of Sabbath. And the story tells us that there was a big difference in the way that Jesus and his followers thought about the Sabbath than those who stood on the sidelines and accused them, those law keepers and those Pharisees of the day. 
And Jesus challenged them but that their law-keeping was basically seriously missing the point, some of, like some of these ancient laws, uh, that actually the way they were trying to apply the law now was completely out of context uh, for the new kingdom and the new way and the new relationship that he was bringing in. So we've done really well going through the passage, and I, what I wanted to do today was rather than read the passage again, uh, I actually wanted to tell you the passage as a story, and actually for this to be part of your Sabbath today, for this to, for you to be very, uh, sort of for you, for you to receive this easily, and even for us to use our imagination. So actually, even if you want to close your eyes, I'm going to tell you a story of this passage, and if you fall asleep, that's like extra points, that's like extra <laughs> Sabbath points, so that's fine. Okay, so let's hear the story that we find in Mark 2. So we find Jesus and his friends out walking through a grain field. We can imagine it, friends together on a warm afternoon. The sun was hot and there was a gentle breeze. As they slowly walked, a number of them stretched out their hands and let their fingers brush against the stalks of grain as they were passing. The sensation of the stalks of wheat passing across their palms just made them feel good, connected to God's creation and the abundance he placed around them. What a great day. A day where they've been together, Jesus and his followers, a day of banter, of feeling connected together. For many of them, they'd never felt so at ease in themselves. This is the life their new teacher had been teaching them all about. A day like this could easily make them think back to the stories of creation and the Garden of Eden. They'd be thinking, is this close to what it felt like to be in that garden? So close to creation, so close to their creator. And then without invitation or second thought, a few of them paused to pick the grain. They were hungry and like little children approaching a buffet table, reaching out And taking the grain to eat was the most natural thing to do. They didn't need permission. They didn't feel fearful. They didn't feel under any sort of rule. They just wanted to enjoy this perfect day. But then the villains of the story now enter the scene. Jesus and his disciples were being watched. And those watching, the Pharisees, the religious law keepers of the day, were not happy See, for the Pharisees, in their twisted way, when they looked at the field of wheat, they no longer saw God's beautiful, abundant creation. What they saw was work and toil. They saw rules. They saw an opportunity to further their teaching of them and us. We are inside God's circle and you're on the outside. And they said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? because to harvest grain on the Sabbath was against their ancient laws. They were happy to think that they tripped Jesus up. Everything Jesus did and said was at odds with their controlling law codes, and they hated him for it. They wanted a reason to condemn and kill him. But Jesus, on this perfect afternoon, wasn't going to let the Pharisees spoil his Sabbath. He didn't get ruffled or lose his temper with them. He just reminded them of another story, an ancient story, a story that the Pharisees would have been completely familiar with, one which would remind them of a much bigger story. See, King David, their ancient ancestor, the hero of the Jewish faith, also technically broke the law when he was hungry 
and in need. Jesus reminded them that he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread, the bread of the presence, which is only lawful for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. The point Jesus was making was a really simple one. It's possible to become so obsessed with keeping the rules and the letter of the law that you miss out on the heart and the soul of the law. See, actually, David's human need trumps the strict law code. Jesus then said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The stories of the Bible are a shadow of the ultimate story, which is only fulfilled in Jesus. See, when David entered that temple to eat the bread of the presence from the very holiest place, he was symbolizing what God was ultimately going to bring about in Jesus, to restore his people and to open up to us a life-giving relationship with him where we could actually feed and draw from his very presence, the very presence of God. So just thinking back to our story, why on this Sabbath day of rest did Jesus' followers instinctively get it right? And the learned rulers of the law, of the Jewish law, got it so wrong. We see, actually, in the Bible, the disciples often getting things wrong and misunderstanding Jesus and misunderstanding God's ways. But today was a perfect day. Today they got it completely right, and Jesus backed them up They were great representatives of the kingdom that Jesus was bringing in. And the reason for that difference was that for each of them, there was a a change going on deeply in their hearts. The change in the difference was simply down to their friendship and their deepening relationship with their teacher, Jesus. See, most of them, having grown up in a Jewish culture and society, would have felt outside of God's favor. They'd have felt confused and alienated by the law and its religious leaders and had a constant nagging sense that however hard they tried, they'd never match up to God's unreachable standard. Much like many people perhaps in our society today, they held little status in their community and mostly scratched together a living, just trying to do their best. They were really nobodies. And the Jewish leaders of the day were very happy with that arrangement, with them on the top of the pile, and everyone else on the outside trying to get in. But then they met him, and everything changed. See, going about their business, a day just like any other, he, Jesus, called them to follow him. And while at that point, none of it really made much sense, and even in this story, you can see things still don't quite make sense to them. Instinctively, they knew that he was different to anything or anyone that they'd ever encountered before. He somehow answered that quiet, ever-present nagging question in their souls, telling them that they weren't good enough. With him, they still knew they weren't good enough, but his love, his acceptance, the way he spoke to them and treated them just melted their hearts and made them glimpse that maybe there's a different life that's possible. See, a new law was at work in them, the law of his love, redeeming them from their past. And so began the next phase of the rescue plan that in Jesus, God became man and made his home with us. And so the king, the priest, the temple became present with his people. 
He's become accessible to normal people, people like you and me. Jesus went on, as we know, to die in our place, to pay the price we couldn't pay for our sin and our wrongdoing so that the perfect relationship could be restored with him. So the temple and the priests and the law code would pass away because now we're getting the real thing. We're getting Jesus. So the story provides a picture of Sabbath rest and the way we enter it. Sabbath isn't just the absence of work, as we've heard about over the last few weeks, but it's also what is all about the presence of Jesus and having a life-sustaining relationship with Jesus. Sabbath is a time where our souls are at rest, and that real rest can only be found in relationship with Jesus. And that actually made the Pharisees of the time and their approach to Sabbath actually look quite ridiculous. They were basically saying, you need to work. You need to keep the rules in order to be good enough for God, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus intends for our Sabbath. It's going back to some of those old laws. It would be like you standing in the fish aisle of Morrison's with your salmon and someone coming up to you and suggesting that you're looking a bit suspicious and perhaps breaking the law. The Pharisees were just completely out of step with this kingdom that God was bringing in. So that's a bit about the Sabbath. I just want to say, I guess, where I would place myself in this story. And I guess the reality is that my heart is to want to be Jesus, one of Jesus' followers, his disciples. But actually, the struggle for me with Sabbath is sometimes I actually find myself taking on another persona in that story, and that's actually the persona of the Pharisee. At times, there can be something in our being um, where actually we end up being the person on the side of the wheat field, being the accuser on the sidelines, nagging that perhaps our efforts aren't good enough and we don't deserve rest and to have somehow done enough to be accepted by God. I really love the picture in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, which describes the Jewish law like someone brushing a dusty room and it filling with choking dust to the point where the occupant can no longer breathe. He then describes the grace of God as water being sprinkled in the room and the air being cleansed and the room washed. You know, by our own efforts, we only further condemn ourselves and almost fill our lives with this choking dust. When we give up and invite Jesus into our lives, he washes us with life-giving mercy. And at times, my life can be this effort of trying to get by in my own strength, sustaining myself, of failing, and then ultimately surrendering to Jesus and his grace. Do you know, as people, we really like rules, don't we? We like rules to follow And it can be so easy to fall into patterns and behaviors where we simply replace the simplicity of worship and the connection with Jesus with a task list, which we subconsciously then use to seek God's approval. And the great news is that Sabbath rest is like the antidote to that striving that we can fall into at times. And as we've been learning over the last few weeks, it's the time when we unplug, we pause from work, We invite his presence and allow space and time for connection with Jesus, with creation and with each other. And you know, it is really tough to pull off with a busy life, with lots of priorities. Honestly, Sabbath for me can be incredibly challenging. I am very task-orientated. 
as Neris will uh, testify to. Um, and at times, you know, easily substitute God's presence or uh, relationship with other people for a list of tasks and a sense of things to do. And even sometimes the good things God has put around me, I really like going cycling, um, and that would be one way I would really get some downtime, but even that can then turn into another task that I want to achieve. I want to clock up some more miles on Strava so that my little, I'm not in a big Strava group, Strava is a little app that we use as cyclists um, to uh, show off how much cycling we've done basically to each other. Um, has that just become another task that I want to, you know, tick, I've exercised? Um, or is that actually something I can deeply find rest and engage with God's creation and that enjoyment and sensation of being in a bike, which, which I love so much? Do you know, when I, we do get Sabbath right and Sabbath, Sabbath rest right, it is so rewarding. What does Sabbath look like for us? So Sabbath for us, or for me actually, is feels like a long, deep breath uh, where we get to press the pause button uh, and we really sort of are able to reset and it should hopefully happen once a week. It doesn't always. This is a mix for me of ensuring I can pause from tasks and engage in the things that I find refreshing. I like to get out. I love creation. I love the mountains. I love to be on a bike in the countryside. Um, and it's definitely a time that where we, want, we connect as a family uh, and part of my role is to help us all be able to, to pause and rest as well. It inevitably involves good food and having fun together. And during these times, it is amazing uh, just how hugely helpful that rest is in terms of resetting our priorities. I guess a lot of the time, the conversations we end up having are the things that probably we've needed to get to as conversations all throughout the week. But in that time of rest, the important things rise to the surface and we're able to reprioritize and really focus on the things that matter in terms of what's going on in our lives and the lives of the people around us. It's also fantastic to have more space to read the Bible. Rather, again, in the week, just reading the Bible and getting some scripture in can be a bit task-driven, but actually to have that space to read God's Word and then have some points throughout the day to actually really mull over that and absorb what God is saying and allowing the Spirit to talk to you. Corporate worship as well for me is enormously important and part of uh, Sabbath rest. Uh, again, just like this afternoon, to come together, to open our hearts to God together um, and just together worship him, experience him, hear him speaking through scripture, prayers and the songs. Um, it's, it's completely wonderful it points us, I guess, to the origin of our Sabbath rest, which is Jesus and his presence, and it's just so important. So in conclusion, some of the questions, I guess, that have occurred to me uh, as I've uh, prepared this and looked at the topic of Sabbath, um, it might be that actually you're here and you, you actually just need to experience the rest that only Jesus can give for the first time. Just like Jesus called each of his disciples and then started walking with them um, and then growing in relationships. So he calls each one of us. And that is the origin of our rest, and that's where our rest truly begins. It might be that you just need to receive Jesus in a new way or for the first time um, in order to know his rest. Another question, I guess, is just where you're placing yourself on that field at the moment. Is there anything, um, I guess, of 
the things of beauty that God's placed around you that actually have become a source of toil and striving rather than refreshment and enjoyment. Um, So your family, um, the house God's placed you in, even creation or exercise, are these things that you're actually pausing enough to really deeply enjoy. And perhaps if you're not, then what is it that's potentially denying you that permission to rest? Um, A lot of the time, for me, that is when I just need to pause and come back to knowing who I am as God's son, knowing that I'm loved, knowing that he is enough, that he's done it, and therefore I can know him speak over me, it's finished, and my striving, my restlessness can cease and I can truly enter his rest. So hopefully that's been helpful, and I think we're going to hear from John next. I'd really encourage us to get those questions, take a photo of them. I think they'll do you good. I have heard this twice, and I keep thinking, man, where does the Pharisee pop up in me? Uh, as well as just imagining that story, of just thinking, man, it is just good, Jesus, to be invited by you to just enjoy my day. It's really good. Um, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had to do this next part because we weren't living with some of the things we live with now in terms of technology. And the reality is, for every single one of us, either ourselves or people we're connected with, are trying to navigate something that we don't know quite what to do with, and that is technology. And so we just thought it'd be great to get someone who lives in this world, which is John Newbold, uh, who couldn't unfortunately be with us today, but we were like, we still want you to do it. So he uh, set himself up a a little camera and filmed some stuff for us, which I think will do us good. And so we're just going to watch this now. I think it will do you good. Uh, So I'll hand over to John. When the team at Oasis asked me to speak for a few minutes on this subject of Sabbath and technology, that video that you've just watched was one of the first things that popped into my head. It's a short film from about seven years ago called I Forgot My Phone. If you want, you can go and find the full version on YouTube and you can join the 50 million plus other people who've already watched it. When it came out, this film captured so many people's attention, I think, because of how it portrayed how technology was changing all of our fundamental interactions as groups of people, but also because of how much it spoke to many of us, me included actually, around how it's increasingly hard to disconnect in this increasingly connected world. So for the next few minutes, I want to unpack this subject of Sabbath and technology by looking at our technology habits in the context of Sabbath rest and exploring two key questions. Firstly, how do our technology habits shape us? And secondly, how do we actually rest from technology? Over the last decade, we've lived through an unprecedented shift in how much time we spend online. A 2018 study by Ofcom found that the average British consumer spends an entire day, 24 hours a week online. They found that 80% of the general public now own a smartphone, with another study finding that today's average user reaches for their phone 76 times a day and registers around 2,600 taps or swipes in a typical 12-hour period. It's clear then that many of us are living in this increasingly connected state and spending more time than ever online. But is that in and of itself a good or a bad thing? Well, for many of us, me included, technology can often open us up to many good things. Technology enables us to learn more easily than we ever have before. 
It opens us up to a world of information at our fingertips. It allows us to connect with people that we might otherwise not meet, to make new friends or find partners, to be entertained or to indulge our hobbies. Conversely, just like anything on the internet, if you're looking for reasons that technology can be bad, be that smartphone addiction, online trolling or political separation, then you're going to find them. I think that to try and classify technology usage as being objectively good or bad really serves the wrong purpose. It's the wrong question to ask. The important question is the subjective, personal one, which is how are our own individual technology habits shaping us? And I believe that there are three ways that we're shaped by technology. I believe that we're shaped in terms of our attention, in terms of our well-being, and in terms of our identity. As a species, humans are by our very nature curious beings. The phrase there is no cure for curiosity first appeared in print over 100 years ago. But in the age of accelerating technology and access to more information, this can pose a bit of a problem. You see, because our curiosity is infinite, but our time is finite, we're living in a period where many social media companies are engineering and designing their products specifically to clamber for more of our attention. One of Facebook's founding investors, Sean Parker, said in 2017 that he's now become something of a conscientious objector to social media, having seen the societal damage that they've done. He explained that their design goal is simply to consume as much of your time and attention as possible. And he talked about it in terms of giving users a bit of a dopamine hit every once in a while, because they found that when someone liked or commented on a photo or a post, it kept people coming back. Similarly, another study in 2016 found that the average consumer had 65 notifications a day appearing on their phone. Scientists wanted to study the effects of turning these notifications off for seven days, but they were actually unable to recruit 30 willing participants. Instead, 30 volunteers negotiated and agreed to do 24 hours. All of the participants reported feeling better at the end of the study. And amazingly, over two years later, 30% of the participants had still opted to have all of the notifications on their phone switched off. This consuming of our attention and the perpetual state of distraction that some of us can find ourselves living in is why the type of focused, disconnected, fully present rest that can be on offer through the Sabbath is perhaps more essential and attractive than ever. So what does this constant level of connection and being online do for our well-being? Well, being constantly plugged into this digital nervous system unsurprisingly has some well-being connotations, be it the constant connection to our emails, the need to feel that we're not missing out on the latest thing on social media, or the endless 24-hour news cycle where it can feel like it's easier than ever to plug into some instant outrage. We're living with something that's become known as ambient anxiety. Ambient anxiety is classed as a low-grade anxiety brought on by the constant bombardment of media. It's always there in the background, just below the surface, but enough to keep our anxiety subconsciously activated and elevated. So this impact on our well-being can not only damage our mental health, but also this state of anxiety is completely at odds with this non-anxious bedrock peace state that we're supposed to seek with others, with ourselves and with God during Sabbath. 
Just as with our basic need for curiosity, another one of our triggers that we naturally want to feed is our need for social connection and acceptance. But when it comes to how we spend our time online, there's an increasing body of evidence that shows that the more time you spend on your phone, the unhappier you'll be. This slide shows a huge study of over 200,000 people conducted from the website Time Well Spent, which shows that with every app or website they surveyed, the longer participants spent on each service, the unhappier they became. Spend 22 minutes a day on Facebook, people felt okay. 59 minutes, unhappy. 23 minutes a day on Instagram, fine. 51 minutes, deeply unhappy. And in particular, the top list of apps that made people unhappiest were primarily the social media services, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. It seems clear then that often the more time we can spend online, the unhappier we can become. Social media can act as a really fun distraction in the short term, but there's a fine line where our own online identities and our habitual following of other people can quickly become really destructive to our own identities. So perhaps looking at all of this, it can feel quite desperate and maybe we should just get rid of technology from our lives altogether. Well, I don't think that's the answer. In fact, I think when we consider how we rest from technology in the context of our habits, we can find that Sabbath rest regularly by keeping technology in balance with the rest of our lives and finding habits that work for us. Of course, it's maybe not easy at first, and one of the big themes that I took away from the subversive Sabbath book that Adrian's recommended this series is that often when we're resting from the right thing, it can feel really hard at first. In his book, The TechWise Family, Andy Crouch suggests some great principles for how technology can find a place in modern family life. I really liked this approach as it didn't seek to eliminate technology from how we live, but instead to put it in balance with rhythms of rest that ensure that technology is a tool that we can use and not something that we are unconsciously shaped by. Three of my favorite habits from the book include this one, creating more than you consume, seeking to fill your home with things that reward skill and active engagement rather than having screens in every room. Secondly, recognising that we as people are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So Andy Crouch recommends that one hour a day, one day a week and one week a year, families seek to turn off their devices so that they can eat, play and rest together. And lastly, a daily rhythm, making sure that you wake up before your phone does and it goes to bed before you do, which I found really, really helpful. A second book recommendation that I'd make, particularly if you feel like technology is maybe more of a personal problem at this point in time than a family one, is how to break up with your phone. This is a super quick read, it's a non-Christian book, but it contains some really good advice and a really neat 30-day plan, which helps you wean yourself off of the notifications, the habits, and maybe the bad behaviors that you've built around the use of technology in your home. Um, it's also had loads of attention in the mainstream media, so it's been a really good one for me in terms of a conversation starter with non-Christian mates who might be struggling with technology issues as well. Um, of course, all it's going to achieve is to create a bit of a vacuum and some time and space for you away from technology. But when you combine that and fill it with some of the things that we've learned about during this series about what the purpose of Sabbath is for, I think it'll be a really powerful combination. So just to recap then, let's have a very quick summary. Firstly, I think it's important to remember that technology in and of itself isn't necessarily good 
or bad, but the habits that we create around technology do need to be kept in check. Secondly, I think it's really important to recognise that our technology habits shape us whether or not we recognise it or not, and that if we spend too much time without any rest, that those habits can shape us in really negative and pervasive ways that are really at odds with how we're meant to be as people. And third, I think it's really important for us to recognise that Sabbath and technology isn't about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, it's not about ditching technology entirely, but it's trying to seek those moments of Sabbath rest in the everyday, in the week and during the year where we're disconnecting completely from this connected world and seeking God in ways which are good for us without distraction. As I kind of look at it, we are moving quickly as a culture and trying to manage something. And normally what happens is one generation passes down the skills to another. We're at this unique moment where actually no generation has any skills to navigate. And so we're having to say, well, what do we do here? And at this point, we can either kind of give up, but I don't think that's a way forward. And it's just interesting, isn't it, that an ancient practice has something to say about a very modern problem and a modern issue, and I want us to get hold of this. I was speaking to someone last week who was talking about um, one of the, the great advocates at the moment of the driverless car is Google, that's investing high amounts of money in order to help us not have to drive our car. And they said, well, the reason for that is actually because they've realized that the number one place all of us aren't connected at this point in time is in the car. And therefore, if they can find a way to get us connected, let's get them there. And I just thought, man, we are being led down a path that we're not kind of quite sure where we're going. And I think these moments aren't for us to say technology's bad. It isn't. It's really good. There are so many things that are so beneficial. But actually, it's that we need to look at how do we live this way. And we're crying out at the moment. Where there's a world crying out around us saying, what do we do? Because this isn't quite working. Therefore, I wonder whether this moment is a moment where we say, it isn't to condemn us. It isn't like, man, we must work harder, but rather getting back to the simplicity of what we said and heard in worship, which is, Jesus, we need you. We need to surrender to you, and we need you to lead us. And what I want to do is just pray to finish off with and just say, Jesus, would you therefore go with us as we leave this place? Would you go with us as we get into our work, as we seek to rest, as we seek to bring you to others, in order that we'd understand more of the liberty and freedom that you have for each and every one of us. So I wonder if we can just close our eyes and I'll pray to finish. Jesus, I do therefore ask, would you go with us as we live this building? I pray as we leave, would we go knowing that you're with us, that you're with us in our homes, that you're with us in the situations we're facing, in our recoveries, uh, in our workplaces, uh, in our communities, in our homes. And I pray, Jesus, as we know that you're with us, I pray, would you lead us into more of the freedom that you've got for us? I pray, Jesus, would you keep us on this adventure of working out what rest looks like and of how we can fashion this weekly rhythm that allows us to enjoy all that you've got for us. And I pray as we look at that, I pray it start to permeate the rest of our lives. And I ask Jesus, as we seek to live this way, would you also cause us to know that as we do that, it allows us to introduce others to the wonder of who you are, Jesus. And so I pray, go with us, bless us, keep us. Amen.